Well, thank you all for having me. Um, again, my name is Seth Anderson, and I'm a friend of John. John and I have known each other for a long time, um, ever since John came. And uh, I'm a pastor up in St. Albans, which is about 30 minutes that way, up the interstate. Um, I have a wife and five kids, uh, hard to believe. And I'm excited tonight to be here with you guys because um, I love RUF. And there's a few reasons I love RUF. One is that my daughter is actually in RUF in New York City. And so this is her first year in RUF, and uh, she's part of Citywide, which is actually also um, connected with you guys, and that John, one of John's best friends is the RUF leader there. So uh, it's been a huge help for her, huge blessing to me. Uh, I texted her on my way down tonight saying, pray for me, I'm speaking RUF, and, and so she knows I'm here tonight. Um, the other reason I love RUF is because RUF is not afraid to invite students into investigating who Jesus is and asking difficult questions, not being afraid of difficult answers, not being afraid to say, we don't have all the answers, but let's investigate together. And so uh, that's what, those, those are two reasons I love RUF. Um, so I'm excited to be here with you guys tonight. <clears throat> I know you guys have been uh, working through the book of Romans, and so last week uh, actually listened to that, so thanks John for sending that over, um, listened to that last night, so it's kind of fresh in my mind that uh, this is a, a safe place to learn, to grow, to be challenged. Um, you guys have looked at what it means to be justified by faith, to be declared right by God what it looks like to have peace with God, also what it looks like to not stay where you're at, but to be moved. And if you remember last week, John talked about, um, why can't I just stay where I am? But he said, Jesus loves us enough to meet us where we're at, but he also loves us enough not to leave us where we're at. Some people think, well, I'd like to stay where I am. And he said, well, that's kind of like if one of your shoulder sockets is out of joint. Remember that illustration he used? And he said, you know, it's really painful when it's out of joint. And Jesus comes and he pops it back in, which allows us to move freely and live with freedom. So the question was, if Jesus paid for my sins, why can't I keep on sinning? It's because he loves us and he wants to lead us. He wants to move us uh, to where he is to follow him. So that was last week. Um, of course, we're following him imperfectly, right? We're not perfect. None of us are perfect. We make mistakes. It's kind of like a little child. Uh, when one of our kids was learning how to walk, you know, they start walking and they're like kind of like that drunken sailor you know wobbling around and you're holding your hands out and you're like come on come on you can do it and then they take a step and and then maybe another step and then bam they fall um you're not going to be like you failure i can't believe you fell that's not what god does to us right what god does to us is come on come on i'll help you up let's do this again let's try it again so <laughs> some people have a view of god that he's really stern and angry and and if you don't perform the way that he expects you to perform he's gonna just come down on you hard 
But I think it's better to have a picture of God as a loving father who wants to lead us as his children. And that's what Romans talks about, right? That God brings us into his family. He makes us his son, his daughter. So following Jesus is not always easy, just like the child walking. You know, it's not always easy. Like for us, it might be easy, but for the child, it's actually really hard. And uh, if they could talk back to you, they'd be like, oh, this is really hard. I've done a couple steps already. Just let me go. Uh, But we know that following Jesus can be difficult. Some people have this myth that, you know, once you bring Jesus into your life, once Jesus comes into your life, everything's easy. And we just know that's just not true. Uh, There are a lot of things that are much better. But we know that we're still learning and growing. And it's kind of like, you know, if we were to take the joint illustration, if your shoulder's been out of joint for a long time and it's popped back in, it feels a lot better, but it's still sore. Those muscles have been stretched. you've, You've been living like that for a while and it takes time to heal. And so uh, it's going to take time to learn how to follow Jesus. And it's going to take time for him to bring us on, bring us in his ways. It's kind of like someone who said, you know, becoming a follower of Jesus, everything becomes easy all of a sudden. It's kind of like me saying, I'm really lonely and I just want to be married. And so then I'm going to get married and all my loneliness is going to go away. Well, there's definitely some that will go away, but at the same time, there's other types of loneliness, right? It's not just being in relationship. I mean, sometimes when you, when you get married, you, you know, your friends are like, Hey, you don't have as much time for us anymore. You're, you know, your interests are maybe divided. And and then you feel like a little more isolated from friends. Maybe Uh, you have to be intentional there. So life is not always easy. It's not just a walk in the park, walking with Jesus. It's not without trials, without sufferings, but it is hopeful and it is leading somewhere good. So that's what I want you to take from today. Walking with Jesus is not without trials. It's not without suffering, but it is hopeful and it's leading somewhere good. So let's look at the passage that that John uh, picked out for us today. Romans 8, you have it on your sheet there. Um, You can follow along as I read it. This is verses 18 through 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. 
For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. We pray that you will help us tonight. Help us to make sense of this. Help us to consider what you want to teach us here tonight. Lord, I thank you for each and every one of these students. I thank you for their lives and for their hearts. The fact that you've brought them here tonight to hear your word, to interact with each other, to learn and to grow. We pray for your spirit to lead and guide us now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a week ago last night, I was in the ER I uh, had a meeting at church, and I came home. I actually, it was kind of funny that um, I tried to close the meeting without even praying. Like, we always pray at the end of our meeting, and I'm like, all right, all right, we're done. The other guys were like, you forgot to pray. It's like, oh, okay. And then I, I, looking back, I realized, okay, I realized how off I was. But I got in the car, and I was shaking. I had a fever. I went home. I came out um, out of the car. My wife was on the porch, and she's trying to talk to me, and I just stumbled in the house, went upstairs, and I realized that um, I had all, all this sign of stuff. You can hear it in my voice. I'm still, still uh, you know, definitely better, but still healing. And uh, <clears throat> I realized that, like, I couldn't feel from my knees down anymore, and I couldn't feel from my elbows down. I started losing feeling because I wasn't getting enough oxygen. And I started feeling tingling in my neck that was spreading around. And I told my wife, I, I said, I need you to get my daughter's nebulizer. Um, she has asthma. I have asthma. What had happened is all the drainage had gone down and clogged my bronchial tubes. I couldn't get enough air. And I thought, like, if this keeps going on, I'm going to maybe go unconscious. Um, it happened to me, you know, several years ago. And so thankfully, I knew some warning signs ended up um, taking the nebulizer, emergency inhaler, all that stuff. It helped a little bit. My wife was like, you're going to the hospital. We need to get you some medicine and stuff like that. So thankfully for prednisone and now I'm on antibiotics, all that stuff really helping a lot. But <clears throat> I found myself, and I found myself this week has been more challenging. This week has been, I've been slower. I've been weaker. I've been a little lightheaded and dizzy. I just don't feel myself. And I found that I was longing to be better, just longing to be what I normally am so that I can do the things that I normally would do. And 
We all, all of you, are experienced to some degree with some kind of suffering, some kind of pain, some kind of challenges. And it doesn't have to be physical. It could be emotional. It could be psychological. It could be relational. There's all kinds of different sufferings and trials that we go through. And it's a big topic. So it's really difficult to deal with in one night, right? In one talk, how are we going to figure out, you know, God's plan through suffering, you know, here tonight. But I'm excited that you're here because this is one step. And I find that this topic, it's best to take one step at a time. And as you go through life, you need time, you need perspective. God will grow you in this topic. He will grow you in your understanding. The things that you go through in your life, he will grow you through it uh, little by little. This is actually one of the biggest objections by people that you know, people that maybe you live with, people in your dorm, people in your classes. It's one of the biggest objections to faith and to belief in God. And this is what people say. If God is real, if God is good, how can there possibly be a world filled with suffering and evil? Either one of those things is true and the other is not true. They can't both be true at the same time, they would say. Because if God is good, then there wouldn't be suffering and evil. He would take care of all this. And if there is suffering and evil, then maybe there isn't a God at all. Or maybe he's just a tyrant. And so how do we deal with this objection? Um, Tim Keller wrote The Reason for God. It's a New York Times bestselling book. And uh, he has a chapter in here. I would recommend it. There's a chapter in here called, How Could a Good God Allow Suffering? That's a huge question, isn't it? And he opens the chapter with um, Hillary. She's an undergrad English major, and she says this. I just don't believe the God of Christianity exists. God allows terrible suffering in the world. So he might be either all-powerful but not good enough to end evil and suffering, Or else he might be all good, but not powerful enough to end evil and suffering. Either way, the all good, all powerful God of the Bible couldn't exist. And then Rob, her boyfriend, adds, this isn't a philosophical issue to me. This is personal. I won't believe in a God who allows suffering, even if he, she, or it exists. Maybe God exists, maybe not. But if he does, he can't be trusted. There's a lot of people that believe this. Um, Maybe you've said this as well. Maybe you've wondered, how can we we square these things? Like, how can God be good and all-powerful, and yet there still be suffering in the world? This is a question that I've asked for many years and tried to find the answer to, and I'm hoping to give you a little bit of help tonight. I don't have all the answers I don't, uh, I can't give it to you in a nice package. Um, But I would say to Hillary and to Rob, they definitely have a view of justice, don't they? They have a view of like, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And I would ask them, Rob and Hillary, where did your view of justice come from? Like, where is that based upon? Because we know that God is just as well. 
he cares about suffering. He cares about what's right and what's not right. And they're making a statement saying there's something that's right and something that's not right. And basically the fallacy of their argument is is that they're saying, if I can't find a reason, then it doesn't exist. Someone said, that's like, you know, if you're camping and you have a tent and you you look in the tent, you see a St. Bernard dog, right? It's your dog is in there. You could say, okay, the dog is in the tent. But then if you were to say, I'd say, can you look in the tent and see if those little tiny no you know, the little tiny bugs that bite you, that have a big bite, like the little black flies. Can you look and see if there's any of those in the tent? You look in the tent and you're like, no, I don't see them. There's none in here. Are you sure? Just because you can't see them doesn't necessarily mean they're not there. And I would say the same is true. Just because we can't see reason and purpose for God's suffering doesn't mean that he doesn't have one. So I think we have to come back to that, um, that basic understanding. So I want to ask the question tonight, where did suffering come from? The question, where do we turn for help in suffering? And what is the purpose of suffering and evil? Those are big questions. But if we jump right in, we see the first thing that's said here is, I consider that the sufferings of this present time. And so the writer of Romans here is talking, is, and this is what I love about the Bible. It's real, it's honest, it's admitting there's evil, there's suffering, there's pain. This is real. It's not just, oh, it's all shiny, it's plastic, it's happy, no suffering, life of Jesus is great. No, this is someone who trusts in Jesus and they're admitting their suffering. We know that when in the beginning of the Bible, when God created the world, he created it perfect. And there was no pain. There was no death. There was no suffering. There was no evil. So where did it come from? Well, remember he told Adam and Eve, you can eat of all these trees in the garden, just don't eat of this tree. And then the serpent came in, deceived Eve. She gave some to Adam who was with her. And they ate. And all of a sudden, sin entered in the world. Suffering entered in the world in that moment. And it wasn't just for them. It was for all of creation. And actually, this passage said uh, that the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So because Adam and Eve rebelled against God because they turned away from him, all of a sudden, the curse, the consequence was suffering. The consequence was pain. The consequence was death. And now we see our cars are rusting, right? Uh, I just tried to do some touch-up paint on my car the other, you know, last year because my mother-in-law backed into a stone wall and it scratched the, it was her car first, so she can do that. Uh, Scratched the car and and it was rusting. I'm like, if I don't take care of this, it's going to get worse. But you know what? We can put a little tiny paint on it, but it's going to still rust. Our bodies have sickness. I felt that this week. You felt that before. Our relationships are broken. Our buildings are decaying. My brother texted me last week. He's trying to rent his, uh, he has a, a condo. They just bought a new house. They're trying to rent the condo. He's getting it all ready to rent. And he goes downstairs in the basement. They had a flood. 
um, a while back. So they're trying to clean all that stuff out. And he takes this picture, this video, and it's of this, all the wood is, is being eaten away. And there's all these things moving in the wood and then they're termites. He's like, there's hundreds. No, there's thousands of termites in this wood. He's like, the wood is paper thin. I texted him back. I said, it's time to call a professional. Like, you cannot deal with this. They have to treat outside the building and all of that stuff. This is the world we live in, right? Our bodies are failing. Our houses, our cars, our relationships. There's a lot of pain, disease. We see this with Adam and Eve, right? When God came and said, where are you? Well, I hid. We hide from each other now. We hide from God. Well, who, who told you? The woman you gave to be with me, he said. See, there's blame, right? He's blaming the woman already. Right from the beginning. And so now we wonder, like, why do we blame each other? Why do we have relational problems? It's because of what happened in the beginning. We, we, we have an identity crisis. We're all mixed up. And so we see it in ourselves We see the words in this passage like waiting and eager and looking forward and hope and longing. These are all words of future. We're waiting for something to come. We're eager for something. We're looking forward, hoping, we're longing, future words. We're longing for things to be better than they are right now. We're longing for things to not stay the same. We're longing for... Healing, because this is not the way it's supposed to be. C.S. Lewis, he, he said, suffering is like God's megaphone. If you think of a megaphone, like all of a sudden, a loud voice, maybe you're you know, kind of sleeping or nodding off, or you're just kind of going through life the way that it goes, and all of a sudden you're woken up. Sometimes suffering will do that. Sometimes pain will jolt you out of complacency. It gets our attention. And it creates longing that the future, we want it to be different. Um, I think suffering is also like signposts. If you're driving down the road and you're wondering, where should I go? Where is this exit? Where do I turn on this road? You're looking for the sign. And suffering is like a sign saying, it's this way. This is the way to go. It's not here. You have to turn and go this way. God is doing that in our lives. Now, you might say to me, this is all very theological and theoretical, but you don't know my suffering. You don't know what I've gone through in my life. How can you just... Who's writing this anyway? I mean, this person writing it, I consider that the sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed. Well, I consider, you might say, I consider the sufferings are big. Well, we know that the Apostle Paul is writing this, and I just want to read to you what he went through. He went through some pretty difficult things. We're told, actually, in Second Corinthians chapter 11, He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. That does not sound good. 
on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, maybe you've had that, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. If you struggle with anxiety, Paul did too. And actually, I would say Jesus did too. The night before Jesus knew that he was going to die, he was sweating like drops of blood. He was pleading with God to take the, the cup from him. If there's any other way, he's saying. And so we know we're in good company. This is difficult. Suffering is difficult. But here Paul talks about hope. He doesn't dwell on the suffering. He looks forward to something better. To looking beyond the present to something that is promised. That's what hope is. Looking beyond your right now to something that's promised in the future. It's not like, you know, this weekend we're supposed to get a storm, right? I don't know about you, but if you're a skier or snowboarder, I've gone once this year, and, and I am kind of jealous of John right now because he's out in Colorado. <laughs> John, we hope you're having a great time. <laughs> Seriously, we do. But, you know, the snow here has not been that great this year. Um, and so we hear about the storm coming this weekend. People say, oh, maybe it'll be a nor'easter. And then I check the weather. It's like we might get one to three inches. And I'm kind of like, what? Seriously? And so if I can say, I hope we get a storm, I don't know for sure if it's coming. I can wish that it's coming. That's not what Paul is talking about here. His hope is deeper. He's saying, I hope and I have confidence. I know it's coming. I know it's coming. I know there's a better world coming. I know that God is going to make things right. He's going to put things the way they're supposed to be. The challenge with suffering is it traps us in the present. It traps us and all we can see is right here. And I felt this this last week. You know, just um, my wife was actually gone to, to New York to visit our daughter. And she took one of our, she took our helpful daughter to, with, with her. And so I was left at home with the dogs, with the kids, and I'm not feeling well. And I'm like, I got to take the dog out to go pee again. And so I'm like doing everything I can just to get the dog outside, like go, 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 go. So I can get back inside. And, you know, you feel like it's all about me. And all I could think about was how tired I was and how weak I was and how sick I was. It's so hard to see outside of yourself when you're suffering, and that's normal. But we need, to, we need to hear this because Paul is forcing himself. He's saying, look, there's hope, there's more, and there's longing, longing for a better week, longing for a better day, longing for a better life. Uh, some people say, you know, the greatest times of growth were in the suffering. And that's hard, right? Because you don't feel that in the, in the moment. But then you look back and 
as Keller says, you need time and perspective. Time and perspective to help see. So that's the reality of suffering and the hope that we have. The second thing we can see here is the help that we have in suffering. And we see that we're not alone. So let me just ask you this. When you are having a difficult time, where do you turn for help? Who do you look to for help? Maybe it's a friend of yours. Maybe it's someone you trust. Um, A lot of people, what they do is they turn to God's creation for help, which there's a lot of good help there, right? God has given us people to help each other. We need each other. Um, But I'm specifically talking about the good things that he's given to us. Like some people turn to money. Money's good. Uh, The love of it is not good if we love it more than God. And what people do is they say, if I can only get enough money, then I will not have suffering anymore. Because there's socioeconomic suffering, right? And if I just have enough money, my life would be easier. And you ask someone who has a lot of money, and you know what they say? You ask them, how much do you think you would need to be satisfied? And the answer is, just a little bit more. And we know that it's never enough, right? Other people, they'll turn to sex, right? If I can just drown myself, or they'll turn to substance. Uh, These are good things, or to sports. I'm going to just pour myself into this so that I don't have to think about the hard things in my life. And what you find is you keep longing because it's never enough and you want more and more and more. It's because those good things were never meant to fill us to the full, the way God will fill us. And so we squeeze these things to get as much life as we can out of them and we end up abusing them. And what Paul is saying here is it's okay to groan. It's okay to groan, to say, I just can't go on. I feel as though I can't even put this into words. And we see there's groaning here, that we're not alone. And he says, God has given us of the Spirit, verse 23. We have the Spirit. The whole creation is groaning, actually. And God has given us the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. God's Spirit lives within us. If you're walking with Jesus, the Spirit lives in you. Some people will say, you know, I wish that I was actually living back when Jesus was alive. Then I could see his miracles. I could talk to him. I could hear what he says. I could look him in the face. And it would be so much better than it is right now. And I'll say, really? Because if you ask the disciples, I'm not sure they would agree with you. Because they were there. They saw the miracles. They were able to look Jesus in the face. They they were able to ask him questions. They were able to sit with him and be with him. And a lot of them didn't get it. A lot of them were like, so when are you going to beat the Romans, Jesus? He's like, that's not what I came for. Actually, I think having the Holy Spirit within us is better than what the disciples had. Because now we have the Spirit who God living in us, reminding us of who he is, reminding us of who we are. Earlier in this passage, it said the Spirit testifies 
to us that we are his children. How many times do you need to be reminded that you're his child? I need to be reminded a lot because I forget. I forget that he's with me. We forget that we're justified, that we're declared righteous. No, no, no. You don't have to work your way into heaven. God has done it for you through Jesus. Remember? How many times do we have to be reminded that we have peace, that we're free, that we have new life? Many. And the Spirit does that. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. Sometimes when we are suffering deeply, we don't know what to pray. We don't know what to ask God. But the Spirit knows, and the Spirit intercedes, and the Spirit intercedes with groanings that are too deep for words. Have you ever just... You, my wife works with somebody, and she said, this guy, you would never believe it, but he gets so frustrated and he gets so pent up He literally walks outside the office, outside the door, and he goes, ah, and just screams out into the the air. You ever felt like that? You would never guess it looking at this guy. Anyway, sometimes we're just like, ah. Have you ever considered that that's a prayer by the Spirit? You don't know what to say. But the Spirit does. And it's, ah. The Spirit prays for you according to the will of God. And I'm thinking maybe the Spirit was praying for me and is for me. God, open his eyes to see it's not just all about himself. Open his eyes to see what I'm doing through this physical sickness. Remind him that it's more than just this moment. That there's a future. There's a hope. Help him to endure. Grow his love for those around him. Protect him from discouragement. And on and on and on. These are the things the Spirit intercedes for us. Well, finally, what is the purpose? So we've talked about walking with Jesus is not always easy. There's sometimes trials, sometimes pain, but it's leading somewhere. And it's accomplishing something good. So we've looked at, we've seen there's hope for us in suffering. There's help by the Spirit. And now we see there's healing. What is the purpose of suffering? And I'll tell you what, you and I both know there are people that suffer and they become bitter. And they become prickly. And you come around them and they prick you. And they want you to feel pain with them because misery loves company, right? So suffering can make you bitter. We need to watch out for that. But it can also make you better. Suffering can lead to resentment, but it can also lead to restoration. So you might ask, what is the difference? How do I prevent it from making me bitter? How do I get better through it? How do I take it and make it do something good. The difference is your perspective. And we could also use the word faith. The difference is faith. What do you believe suffering is doing in your life? What do you believe God is doing through it? 
God has a purpose for all that happens in this world. And we see in verse 28, it says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you know this is the most, one of the most quoted verses in all of the Bible? If you've never heard it before, you've heard it tonight. And I will tell you what not to do. If someone is suffering and someone is having a real hard time, do please do not go to them and say, well, you know, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his good purpose. So you know there's something good's going to come out of this. That's not helpful in the moment, right? What God calls us to do is to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn. To sit with those, maybe to be silent with them and just absorb this tough moment. But we do, theologically, this is true. What about the word all things? Really, God? All things? Because I know some pretty horrible things that have happened to people. You mean everything? The question is, can God take everything, even the terrible things, and turn it for good? Can he work it for his glory? Can he redeem it? Can he make beauty out of ashes? Nothing is impossible for God. God knew you before the world was even created. He called you to himself. He chose you for himself He declared you right because of what his son had done, not because of what you have done. And God finishes what he starts. He doesn't leave you half done. He doesn't leave you in the darkness. He doesn't say, well, I got you to this part. Now you better get the rest of the way. He doesn't say to the little child, well, you made it that far. You better make it the rest of the way to me without falling down or shame on you. He doesn't say that. He says, come on, grab my hand. I'm going to help you through this. I'm going to walk you one step at a time. The path to glory is following Jesus. And following Jesus is through suffering. Not around it, not over it, not under it. It's through it. See, what we didn't read is verse 17. I'll read it for you. We started with verse 18. Verse 17 says this. We become his children, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Here it is. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Do you see the path? It's suffering to glory. Paul Miller, he has a daughter who has special needs. They've gone through really difficult things in their family and their life, but it's been beautiful too. And he, he talks about it as a J curve. So if you think of the letter J, right? We start here and we'll go up. And he says, all of life is like a J curve. You start here with life and then you go into death. And then you go into resurrection. And this is the pattern of the Christian life. Life, death, and resurrection. 
And we can see it in, in all of our life. I mean, you think about it, you become a follower of Jesus. You're going along. Life is going pretty well. Or, or maybe it's not going well. And you are encountered with Jesus. And Jesus says, I want to, I love you where, where you're at. But I'm, I'm loving you too much to leave you here. You need to die to yourself. And then rise. I feel that with my sickness, too, that here I am and life is going along well and then I get sick and it's like dying. And but now I have medicine and I'm starting to come out of it. I'm probably like right here and I'm waiting to get to here and I won't fully get up here until I have a new body. That's what we're promised, that we have new bodies. So to close tonight, think about the J-curve. Those who struggle with God, those who struggle with suffering, we are not left alone. And this is what God has done. Those who struggle with God and say, I'm not sure he even exists. Or how can God be good? How can he be real? We need to consider this. God entered into our suffering. Think of Jesus. He sent Jesus into our suffering. And as one person says, he put him on the hook of suffering. He suffered on the cross. For us, he felt physical pain. And we think about how horrible the cross was what they would do is they would tie your arms and hands and nail your feet, nail, nail your wrists. And the way that you would actually die is you would, you would start sinking and you couldn't breathe. And the only way to breathe was to push with your legs to expand your lungs. And then you would start sinking again. You'd lose strength. And you'd end up gasping for air. We think this is horrible. But the even worse pain for him wasn't the physical pain. It was being forsaken by his father. Where he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced suffering because he loved you so much that he came and died. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave So that you and I, we go through suffering, we live, we die, and we rise. And if you follow Jesus, it's the same pattern. You go through something difficult, and you can bring this any anything you go through, right? Any relationship. You're here, and then you have difficulties, and then you work through it, and you get through it. Or you have a big exam, and you're studying, and it's really hard, and you feel like it's death, and then you get through it. You're on the other side. It's future hope. There's more coming. There's present help. And we believe that there is healing. There's resurrection. There's restoration. So if you're here tonight and you're suffering, I just want to say to you, I'm sorry for what you're going through. It's difficult. And I don't know why you're going through it. But as another said, you can draw courage from the one who loves you enough so much that he died. And the one who asked the same question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Jesus is with us and he's bringing us, he's leading us and he's bringing us to future glory.